Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, please be seated. Good morning, you brave people, or at least the lucky ones who got out of your driveways this morning. <laughs> what a light show last night. Uh, went outside, was a sort of, you know, in my own kind of weird way, enjoying all the uh, sky being lit up. Um, and then the wind picked up, and the rain started coming sideways, and I made a retreat. <laughs> it was when that chair on the deck went from one side to the other, I thought, I should probably get out of the way now. Yeah, what what a what a amazing, amazing storm that came through. I hope everybody is okay. I know some of our folks can't make it today because they're blocked in their neighborhoods with downed trees. And and Keith has no power at his house. Um, so he lives at the Starship Enterprise, because they always were without power. He <laughs> sent somebody down to engineering to help out Keith and Susie this morning. Um, I, you know, I, probably because I'm thinking already about, I'm working with Lynn on the bulletins, my mind last night went to Good Friday with that storm that came upon us like that, unexpected and so, and so fierce. My mind went to, to Good Friday. If you read the, the accounts of, of Jesus' death, the Gospels tell us that about noon, a storm came in and the sky went black. About three o'clock, the sun disappeared. A storm came in. And I'm guessing that it rained. I'm guessing that the heavens opened up, something maybe like we saw last night, and it rained. In our reading today, I'll get back to this. In our reading today, these people come and say, we want to see Jesus. That's real fun for me that it says it's the Greeks because I'm wondering what fraternity or sorority they belong to. <laughs> Some people on spring break coming to Jerusalem for a spring break trip and they go, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Let's go see him. We'd like to see Jesus. We'd like to see Jesus. Interesting thing is, Jesus does not go out to greet them. Well, he doesn't. And in fact, the, the ministry he's been doing in, the, in this first part of John's Gospel up to now, he's been out in public performing a number of signs. Signs of the coming kingdom, signs of the power of God's kingdom, signs of God's love for the world. He's been doing all these signs, and now these people have come to him and he knows that this is an important turning point for him. And rather than go out and meet him, or rather than go out in public and continue doing all those miracles and, and the signs he was doing, he seems to fade. He seems to retreat. He goes into private, and the next time you see him, he's on the cross. He's on the cross. That's like his next public performance, is to be lifted on a cross. And I think the important thing here is they come and say, we want to see Jesus. And you think about what they want to see. Because they've heard about the young rabbi. They've heard about what a great teacher and preacher he is, preaching with authority. They've heard about the miracles he's done. He's just raised Lazarus from the dead. And it's interesting, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, the church people should be, who should be delighted by this Instead, say, you know, if we don't stop this, the whole world is going to be going after this man. 
And right after John tells us that, that the church people are concerned about the whole world is going to go after this man if you don't stop him. What happens? The Greeks show up. That's those things where you say something that's true and you don't realize how true it is. The world has come to Jesus. And they say, we want to see Jesus. But in the story of who he is and what he does and what he means, if you really want to see him, you got to see him on the cross. That's where his true self is revealed. That's where his true mission is completed. That's where he does the work that he's been sent to do. Yes, he's the healer, he's the preacher, he's all his other things, but he is the savior of the world. And if you really want to see who he is, you got to see that cross. Um, a couple years ago at Easter, I told the story of the ragman. <laughs> Some of you might remember ragman. It's a story of, of this man who is kind of the Jesus character. The author of that story is a Lutheran pastor. And he's well known for writing stories in particular for children like the ragman. He had a son that he had trouble with. This man's name is Walter, his son is Matthew. I'll tell you the story about Walter and Matthew. See, it's one of those things where, you know, when you're a minister, that you, you, you feel like at least, and maybe there's some truth to it, that, you know, your kids have to be better than others. Right? you got to keep them under control because, you know, people expect more. Is that right, George? <laughs> In other words, he confesses. He's surrendering to that. Yes. Okay. So um, Walter had this son, Matthew, and um, Matthew developed a bad habit. Actually, it was worse than a bad habit. It was, it was, it was crime. Um, he started stealing. See, his son was a collector. Any of you collect anything? Coins, stamps, automobiles, <laughs> vacation homes? <laughs> go big or go home. <laughs> so his son was a collector. He was a perfect collector. He'd get into collecting things and, and just would collect hundreds and thousands of whatever it was, marbles, whatever it was. Well, he got into comic books. And his seven-year-old son got into comic books and, and started collecting lots and lots of them. But it seemed to be that no matter how many he had and how many he would, he would collect, he always had to have more. And when he didn't have allowance money, or there are no jobs to do around the house, or he might get some money and go to the store and buy more comic books to, to add to his huge collection already, he would steal. And his father found out that he was stealing comic books. Well, it's kind of a horrifying thing for somebody who is known to be a pastor in the church for the community to figure out that maybe you're not doing such a good job at home because your own child is stealing. Well, the first, this first episode where he caught his son, he had stolen comic books from the public library. From the public library. Well, he happened to know the librarian. So he called up the librarian and explained what happened. My son has been stealing from the library. He's stolen some comic books. I'm making him go back and confess his crime. And what I want you to do is to really rip into him. <laughs> okay? <laughs> to really give it to him about how wrong this is. 
And so the librarian did her part. <laughs> Took his son to the library. He, he goes up to the circulation desk and says, here are these comic books. I stole them. I know I'm wrong in doing this. I'm bringing them back. And that librarian gave him the stink eye and everything else that good librarians can do. <laughs> so he thought, good. He's now heard the law. <coughs> and he will obey the law. He's now heard. Until a couple years later, he finds out that his son has been doing something. He has been stealing again. Comic books. So he thought that his son had learned his lesson. And he got, okay, I need to do something here. I need, I need to do something a little bit more extreme. So he collected all of his children's, his child's comic books, put them all together, read them the seventh commandment, thou shalt not steal. Figured his son probably didn't know it. And just for good measure, he read off all the Ten Commandments. So he knew the rest of the rules he's supposed to follow. And then he set his son's comic book collection on fire. And burned every last one of them. And pointed to him and said, this is what's waiting for you, the fires of hell. You don't change your legs. Huh. You think it worked? <laughs> So Walter says, from there, a couple years later, he found himself in St. Louis. He was teaching a weekend at a, at a seminary and thought it'd be a great time for him to take his son, who was now nine years old. He'd take him to St. Louis, and they would have some father-son time, you know, explore some places in St. Louis while they were there for that weekend. And apparently, while he went to do his teaching he was doing, his son was on his own, he went down to some local corner store, must have been near the hotel, and guess what he did? Stole some comic books. Stole some comic books. Hadn't learned yet. So when he found out about this, they were at home, and, and he goes, you know, this is one of those things like parents, you know, you try all those things like, I'm going to ground you. I'm going to cut your allowance. I'm going to make you wash the dog. I'm going to do all these things. And you finally get to that point of frustration and in your maybe not so good moment, you decide to use some corporal punishment. So Walter decides to spank his son. So he said he, he approached his son and told him, this is, this is, you know, this is what I, I feel I need to do. Because you're not following the rules. You're breaking the laws. I have to do this. So he grabbed the son and threw him over his knee. It's classic. And reared back and hit him. <laughs> hit him. Never done that before. Hit his son. He said his son's body went rigid like a board. And when he felt his son's body jerk and go stiff like that, he said he felt something pierce his heart. Something hit him in that. I think it's the feeling of, you know, when you, when you hurt someone like that. And I think from the child's perspective, to know that this person who has, 
who's loved you and cared for you and protected you and nurtured you and, and, and built you up. And they're much bigger than you. And when, when, when it seems to be there's a different character now that this person who is, who's always been there to protect you is, has now taken control of you and has thrown you over their knee and now they are pummeling you and you can't defend yourself. That's got to be a frightening thing. A frightening thing. Walter said he gave him about another four or five good whacks and it was done. It was done. And he got up. And he left the room. This is Walter got up, the dad. He got up and left the room. He said he went and he sat at the piano and he started to cry. Started to cry. It rained on Good Friday. It rained on Good Friday. He said his wife came to him and tried to comfort him. Give him some understanding about how hard this was. And then something amazing happened some months later. They're on a trip somewhere as a family. And his son raises the issue of stealing comic books. Hey, Dad, remember when he used to steal comic books? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, I do. You know why I quit, Dad? And Walter said, yeah, because I spanked you. And his son Matthew said, no, Dad, I quit because I saw you cry. I saw you cry. It rained on Good Friday. <laughs> Here's how the Apostle Paul describes the love of God. This is from that 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Love is patient, love is kind. Right? This is the kind of thing that you hear at weddings, right? This is one of the wedding readings. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Jesus on the cross. The image of God's love. Bearing all things. There's a story of a medieval monastic, a monk, who wanted to show his people what the love of God looks like. So he wanted to make sure that everybody could come, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a rural, it's an agricultural culture, and he, so he had to wait until the end of the day when people had finished with all their animals and all their, their chores in the fields. And so people are gathering at the, at the, at the church late in the day. And the last light of day is, is going down and, and, and the priest comes out of, the, the monk comes out of the sacristy. And in the dark, walks out into the middle of the congregation with this candle and turns to the crucifix. holds the candle up so that people can see the cross that is on the head of our Lord. And then that monk lowers the candle over to the hands that have been pierced by those nails. 
and then lowers it down to the side of our Lord that's been pierced by that spear. Then he blew out the candle and left the chancel because there was nothing left to say. 